Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. Now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to B-Sides. Um, so last Monday, we ended up not having the study because I had to tend to my family. The Everyone got sick except for me. Praise, I mean, not praise God, but praise God, I didn't get sick, but uh, I was I was uh, playing nurse. So we actually have two B-sides today. Uh, so let's hop right in here. Uh, Revelation chapter 14, and we are going to uh, first start with verses 8 through 11. Um. But before we do that, let's get a running start at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So... <clears throat> This is the first of many messengers in chapter 14, and the first one gives the evangelion, the gospel. Then secondly, verse 8, another angel, a second followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. I want you to notice here that Babylon is not just fallen, but is fallen, fallen. One of the ways that the Bible communicates to us is through structure, which we run through a lot here on these uh, secondary studies. Uh, sometimes it is through word studies, how word is used here, and then later it's used here and we connect them. Uh, but another one of the ways that God communicates points of emphasis to us is when he doubles or triples a word. So, for example, uh, right before Abraham slaughters, uh, sacrifices Isaac, he's got the knife and God says, Abraham, Abraham. It's this, not just an Abraham, but a Abraham, Abraham. <clears throat> um, we see the same thing with uh, Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. Uh, I think it's in Jeremiah off the top of my head. Uh, there's not just a pit, there's a pit pit. <laughs> it's a deep pit because it's a pit pit. Uh, and here we see that Babylon is not just fallen, but is fallen, fallen. It's perfectly fallen. It's doubly dead. This made me think of Jude, uh, Jude chapter 1, verse 12. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, and as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, doubly dead. So Babylon is in double ruin. And again, I believe the reason God has introduced the city of Babylon to us in this way is to remind us that even man's greatest achievements are nothing before him. <laughs> they are no challenge, no obstacle, no real threat to God and his kingdom. And in fact, it's Babylon, the apex of human ingenuity, is so far below him, it is introduced to us as already defeated as something one walks on. 
Uh, God is beginning the conversation of Babylon here, and the, the point is, he, he God's framing the conversation of Babylon within its healthy parameters. He's going to describe an impressive city uh, and an op- oppressive city, uh, but it will be defeated before his kingdom. And the point is that Babylon will not succeed. The spirit of Babylon, if there is such a thing, uh, in our day cannot succeed because Jesus wins, period. The church wins, period. This makes me think of Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. You are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Some of the way that the the way that the languaging is in Psalm 2 is God is declaring. Man takes counsel together, but God is the one who's in the driver's seat. It's I will, I shall, you will, you shall. That there is no scenario here. No scenario where Satan or evil men ultimately win. And over and over and over again, in this book, God speaks of evil as if it's already been eradicated. And here, Babylon is so sure to fall, it's talked about as if it's already fallen. Also, it says that Babylon has wine. I want you to, I want to read this. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now, I want you to listen to this in contrast to uh, what we're going to read about Babylon in the future, Revelation 17, uh, verses 4 through 6. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a goblin, a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints to the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. The wine of Babylon in 14 is sexual sin. And in chapter 17, the wine is mixed with the blood of the saints, the church. Here is something that, quite frankly, I'm still, it's so profound and so relevant to what we're going through that I'm still chewing on on the complexities of this. 
But I believe what we can see here clear as day is that sexual sins, the, the sexual sins of a culture are directly connected with the persecution of the church. Think about that. In, in Revelation 14, Babylon has a cup of, of perverse sexual deeds. In chapter 17, we see that those perverse sexual deeds are mixed with the blood of the church. So it seems to me clear as day that the more America falls into sexual perversion, the more the blood of the church will be mixed in with it. I believe, as is already happening, that the sexual revolution in our in our country will be directly connected to the hatred of the church. I believe the way that the Bible's describing this, the way that I'm I'm connecting threads throughout the scriptures, that that in direct proportion, the sexual revolution gains traction. The persecution of the church will come along with it. And we're already seeing this with the LGBTQ plus movement. We're seeing this with the trans movement. We're seeing this with abortion, which is a mostly stem, what's stemming from sexual sin. Those who are participating in the sexual revolution are becoming the fiercest opponents of the church. Uh, one of the leading trans activists today named Austin Hartke, uh, they, they say this, the church, and then this is, this is the languaging that's being used now about the sexual revolution, the transgender movement in light of the American church. The church must recognize that transgender people are made in the image of God and deserving of love and respect. It's not enough to simply tolerate us, but to actively work towards dismantling the system of oppressions that harm us. What is behind the spirit of this trans movement in relation to the church? It's not, it's not that you can just live peaceably with it. You know, when I see a trans person and I talk to a trans person, I treat them with dignity. I treat them with love. Um, they, they are a person, of course. Um, that's not enough. We have to, as the church, actively work towards dismantling the systems of oppression that harm us. What exactly do they describe, define as the systems of oppression? The Bible. True biblical living, biblical Christianity, that this will not be satisfied unless the church comes crumbling down in their view and is built back up in the form of Babylon. In the book of Revelation, the sexual sin of Babylon is directly connected to the blood of the martyrs, and we're starting to see it in our culture. This is no, this is no coincidence. This is no coincidence. Uh, let's keep going here. Verse 9. <clears throat> and, 
And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So God, too, now it is revealed, has a cup of wine. Except God's wine is not sin, but wrath. And this wrath is called to be in, is said to be in full strength. If you've ever made lemonade before, uh, you take, and my kids, I, and then in the summer I make lemonade regularly for the little guys. Uh, you take a lemon, cut it, juice it. I like to do a half lemon, half lime, because, you know, fancy like that. Uh, squeeze it, and then you add your sugar, and sugar messes with my sinuses, so I do honey. I do like a honey simple syrup, so I have lemon, lime, and honey. Uh, and you, you mix it all together, and then you have this glass. You have a glass with concentrate. With concentrate. Now, if you drink that, it's gonna knock your taste buds off. Uh, so you have to dilute it with water. And as you drink it with water, it actually becomes quite nice. Uh, and it's condensed concentrated form. It's just too strong. Uh, the same thing's true if you, if you make pasta and you add too much um, tomato paste. It's just too much. But the more uh, water you add, chicken stock you add, or you know, um, tomato themselves, it, 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 the concentrate becomes more palatable. Well, back in the first century... Uh, wine was concentrated. It was strong. And so one of the ways that they would make it not only stretch, but make it more enjoyable is they would add water to wine. Uh, and so the alcohol content uh, was less back then in, in wine. Uh, and that's, that's one of the arguments that, um, people that, that believe we Christians shouldn't drink alcohol at all use is that the wine that they had in their day wasn't as strong as the wine that we have in our day. Um, but I just think that's a ridiculous argument anyways, and we get into that another time if you want. But uh, the wine back then was water to, to make it, you can drink more of it and all day <laughs> for festivities and parties and weddings and that sort of stuff. Um, but here, what do we see? That the cup of God's wrath is full strength. It has no water in it. It is just straight concentrate. It is God's wrath, undiluted, unwatered, unrestrained fury of God's wrath that the sinner will drink here. Um, I was thinking a lot uh, when I was preparing this study, it was last week's study at this point, um, at how perverse America is becoming. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of good here uh, in our country, but You'd have to have your head in the sand to not realize the tide of evil that's sweeping through. Uh, and I, I, I wanted to give a brief word to some of the older saints uh, who watch this. You know, because the America that, that they're leaving behind, that you're leaving behind, uh, is very different than the America you were introduced to as a little one. And in, in some of the ways, we've made tremendous progress, but in other ways, we haven't. We've gone backwards. But the encouragement here, especially in light of Psalm 2, 
and the rest of Revelation, there is no scenario in which Christ does not end up ruling this nation eventually. No matter how much of a foothold Satan gains, it'll never win. (laughs) Because by the time we get to the end of Revelation, every square inch of this country, every square inch of this world is going to belong to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And we can be so overwhelmed at the grandeur of Babylon and other great cities of the world, and we can look at the all-consuming secularism that's eating our culture and our kids and feel disheartened. Of course, we should mourn about sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That is private sin. That's also corporate sin. We, we should be grieved over sin. But remember, the bride of Christ, the, the church, will outlast all of these movements. And in the end, what are we told? That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So do not be discouraged, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. (laughs) And he will capture the nations for his glory. As the waters cover the earth, so the glory of God will cover this place. As we close, Paul says in Romans 10, 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? I like I love Paul's brain here. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. It, as this Sunday's teaching uh, was on the doctrine of hell, I, I'm sure you picked up on how I was cut to the heart and grieved. How many people don't believe this? And if the church cuts out the doctrine of hell because we don't like it, because it doesn't fit our idea of who God should be, how how are people supposed to believe it? How, How is the lost, how are the lost supposed to believe in the reality of hell if most professing Christians don't believe in the reality of hell? How are people to be warned? If we don't warn them, and I'm not saying we need to walk around with a t-shirt that says prepare to fry on it, but what I am saying is we, we need a real genuine urgency to save people from eternal damnation, especially, especially if we claim to believe the Bible. You know, I, I was talking to, um, to, to, uh, to an atheist, uh, a, a while ago, and he said, you know, if you really believe that people are going to hell, you know, you, you should be, you you would be crazy trying to save everybody. You know, and I talked to him and, and I explained my position there, but he was in a sense, right. You know, we, Christians, quite frankly, we, we need to have a real, fire under us, an urgency about this. And quite frankly, the only thing worse than not believing in that, that hell is real is believing that hell is real and not caring. And so we need to care. We need to care deeply if we're going to believe the God of the Bible, if we're going to believe the Bible in its entirety. And so like the first messenger, 
We, we need to give the world the gospel. Hell is coming. It is coming for all who do not believe. And the only way for them to be saved is if we go and tell them. How are they, how are they going to hear unless someone tells them what Paul just said? How are they to be preached to unless someone preaches to them? <laughs> How beautiful are the feet of those who good to bring the good news. God looks at you when, when you have an urgency and warn and plead with sinners to the Lord in that moment, you are beautiful. And yes, some of these conversations can be difficult and sometimes people will hate you for them. But according to God, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? Even the most nasty part of you. Think about what Paul's writing this in a day where there were livestock all over the road and you walked everywhere in sandals. So you're talking dusty, dirty, crusty, crappy feet. And even the most nasty parts of you are beautiful when you are walking in that level of obedience to God. So I want to encourage you, get out there. Get out there and bring the good news because the reality of hell is not only real and true, but it needs to put an urgency in our, in our witness. It has to. It has to. Uh, and if we are going to love people the way that we've been loved to any degree, then we will, like Jesus, warn people. We will love people greatly, and we will warn people greatly, uh, as is our model in Him. Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work that God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side.